As we get started, I want to ask a question to you. Have you ever received a gift that you were really humbled to receive? Maybe, maybe even a bit embarrassed, to be honest. Uh, let, let me explain how that happened to me and my wife at one point. It's about 20 years ago when Aaron and I, my wife, were, were engaged to be married. God had called us to ministry, and we were excited about that, and we were moving forward. There was a, a couple in our church that we were attending at the time, my home church, her home church, Al and Rose Bozard. And they were the sweetest couple that you'll ever want to meet. Al was a retired pastor. Um, his wife, Rose, was a, was a retired school teacher. And I'm telling you, Rose made the most amazing cinnamon buns that I'd ever had. Yes. They were like melt in your mouth good. So good that you would turn so insane that you would become an Astros fan or an Aggies fan. Woo, that was good. Yeah. That's right. Not like Wade Owens is. Um, but, it was, uh, but it was just an amazing couple, and they loved us. And when they learned that we were going, to, um, going into full-time ministry and going to seminary, they were really excited because they had lived that life. And uh, you know, so they wanted to kind of bless us and love us. So they had us at their house and just loved on us a little bit. And so we get married, and we moved out to Texas to, to begin attending seminary. And within a few months of being there, we received a package in the mail from, from Al and Rose Bozard. And in the package was this book. It's uh, called The Christian in Complete Armor. This is the actual book. And um, he sent me this book because it's, it talks about putting on the full armor of God. And he, know, he knew of all things, when you engage in ministry, you engage in spiritual battles, Right. And so he knew that if I'm going to be equipped for ministry, that I needed to be equipped and I needed to read this book and I needed to be in the word and I needed to put on the full armor of God. But inside the book was a check for $100. And I'm like, Aaron and I were excited to receive that um, because we were so broke. You know, remember when you were just a young couple and you didn't really have anything or we were that way, and so we were living in a little apartment with hardly any furniture, and we didn't, you know, had very little money to our name, but we received that check, and we were really excited because $100 is like six trips to Chick-fil-A, and we knew that, and we were excited about that because Chick-fil-A was about every weekend for us. But one of the other things we thought about, too, was we were, we were really humbled to receive it because we knew that the Bozards did not have a lot of money. This was, a, this was a sacrifice on their part to give us this, these dollars for us to enjoy. We can imagine that they probably created a need. Their giving to us created a need in them. And so we recognized that it was probably sacrificial in some way. They were on a fixed income as a retired couple. And I remember thinking to myself, how can they afford to give us this? Well, we think about that. I think about that a lot. I think about the legacy they left. I think about the impact that they made. Some of you may have stories like that of someone who, when you least expected it, loved you, served you, gave to you in some way that really made a difference and made an impact in your life, left a legacy. This morning, we're going to learn about the church, in, as we end up this series, the church at Philippi 
did that. They gave to Paul's ministry, not, not out of abundance, but out of lack. And the promise is, is that when you give to the Lord, he supplies what you gave. And so if you want to be someone that makes an impact eternally in the world, if that's what you want in your life. And I would imagine that all of us in this room, at some point, we want to know that our lives matter and they're making a difference. And there's something bigger than ourselves that we're contributing to because we want our lives to make an impact. If you want your life to make an impact, what we're going to learn today is this. Be generous. Be generous. That's the, that's the, the call on our lives. Be generous with what God has given to you. I'm looking around this room right now and I know that we've got a lot of folks that God has really blessed. And the question is, how are we being generous? So let's pray and then we'll move into the word this morning, okay? So Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to take a look at your word. Help us to be generous people. Thank you for the example that the church at Philippi gives to us. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. So let's set the context for a minute. Paul is writing this letter from, the, from, uh, from prison in Rome. And the occasion of the letter that he writes is because he had received this gift, this financial gift that was pretty significant from the church at Philippi sent to him through Epaphroditus, who was a co-laborer in the gospel and good friends with Paul. They had a relationship and partnered together in ministry. So this gift comes to Paul there in prison and Paul feels compelled to write a letter to the Philippians, thanking them, number one, but also encouraging them in his letter. You can read all about Paul's coming into Philippi for the first time in Acts chapter 16. I would encourage you to maybe uh, later today to, to read that. But man, it's a compelling story of, of some amazing events. Paul arrives and, you know, the first convert in, in Philippi, Lydia, and then the casting out of evil spirits and this girl that put them in prison. And, and then from there, there was, there was an earthquake and there was a miraculous escape from prison and a Philippian jailer that converted to, to Christianity and just all sorts of events that happened. It's a pretty awesome story. And so this is the beginning of Paul's relationship with, with, Philipp, with Phil, the Philippian church there in Philippi. He was there, he planted that church and, and, and began to encourage the, the church there. And so he's in Philippi and he is writing this letter, I'm sorry, he's in Rome and he's writing this letter to the Philippian church. And so let's begin reading this section of scripture today, beginning in verse 15. So we're gonna be in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 15 through 20 through 19 or so. He writes this, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. So Paul is acknowledging for these Philippians, hey, you've partnered with me from the very beginning of the time that I was there with you to the time that I left. You have been a consistent partner in the gospel with me. You have, you have given, you've been a part, you are part of this ministry too. 
And, you know, one of the things that, that's really interesting here is that Paul is receiving these gifts, but he made it a point never to solely be dependent on the churches that he planted for their, their gener- generosity. In fact, Paul had a little side gig. He was a tent maker. And honestly, his tent making business is what he would use to really fund his travels and his ministry. But he would accept, obviously, contributions and generosity, financial gifts from the churches that he ministered to. And so this church, Philippi, obviously did that. And what's significant about this is that Paul was very careful in his ministry never to give the impression that he was doing this for money. He really, really, and multiple times throughout his letters to all the churches would say things like this, especially to the church at Corinth. He would say this, hey, we purposefully did not want to be a burden to you. That meant, hey, we weren't expecting things from you. We were simply going to support ourselves and be amongst you with, about the gospel. At the church of Thessalonians, he would say something like, we worked night and day so as not to be a burden to you. We never came to you with greed. We never came to you with flattery. We came to you as a person with a pure heart. His motivation wasn't money. His motivation was their salvation. That's what motivated him. That's what, what drew him. That's what drove him to the church planting ministry that he had in the, in the in sharing of the gospel. And so it's pretty clear when you read his epistles and throughout that money for personal gain is never a motivation for ministry, ever. And Paul demonstrated that in his ministry. If you look on, verse 16, he writes this, for even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Again and again, they were consistent. They were consistent partners in the gospel. And I think what's good to to recognize here in this particular verse is what, what Paul means by need. Because I can imagine, and you can too, that what he would define as a need may be a little bit different than from what you and I might define as a need, right? For Paul, need was basic needs. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, he's writing to his protege, Timothy, and he's talking about the relationship between godliness and contentment. And he says this, we brought nothing into this world and we'll take nothing out of this world. If I have food and clothing, I will be content with that. That's what he says. Earlier in this verse, in this particular chapter, he says, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry. For Paul, need was basic need. It wasn't the latest iteration of the iPhone or a year subscription to Netflix. The needs that were being met by Paul on a day-to-day basis were being met by his trade and through the gifts of God's people, but he understood that no matter what was happening, that his contentment wasn't dictated by any sort of financial gift or any sort of money that people might would give to him. He was content in the Lord and with what God had given him. He knew that God had called him. And so he's moved to verse 17. I think this is where I really want to dig down here. That's really important for us to get today. Verse 17 says, not that I seek the gift, referring to the gift that he had given them, that Philippians had given them, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. I think there are two things to acknowledge here. The first is this, is that their gifts were a concrete demonstration 
that their hearts were kingdom focused. What he was more excited about wasn't the gift itself, but the heart behind the gift. Because their heart and their generosity was indicative of their desire to be a part of God's ministry. They believed in Paul. They loved Paul. They understood what he was about. Their hearts were kingdom-focused and kingdom-minded. And as an expression of that love and as an expression of that understanding of the importance of what Paul was doing, they gave to his ministry. They partnered with him financially because they believed and they wanted to participate through giving. They gave to Paul because they believed in Paul. He was excited and grateful, not just just for the gift, but for what it showed about their hearts. The second thing that you'll notice here in verse 17 is the second part of the verse. Paul says, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. That they would be rewarded for their faithfulness in giving. The word increasing has, a, is, has a con, like a continuous action attached to it. That their gifts would be given and they would have a multiplying effect. That their gifts would be given, financial or otherwise, their talents or whatever, that they would be given to God's ministry through Paul and that Paul was telling them that God was going to multiply what he had given into the lives of others as he ministered and as, I, as he shared the gospel from city to city. Let me illustrate it here with an illustration on the screen. Last Sunday, Wade mentioned about a mission journey to Kenya next year. And it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a part of our culture as a church, and we're hoping that a ton of people will go And we're excited about the opportunities we have there as we partner with ministries there in Kenya, serving some of the poorest slums that you'll ever see. But imagine if you want to partner together. You want to be a part of that, but you can't go. Your calendar doesn't allow you. Things are happening. Schedules won't allow it. But you still want to participate. You can participate by giving. So you decide you want to give to the work of this particular trip, maybe even help with supplies or maybe even help fund someone else's trip to go because it's not, it's not cheap. To, it's a, definitely a financial sacrifice, but you want to contribute. And so you give dollars to someone who is going to go. And while they're there, they're used by God. They go and, and they share the gospel with, with children, with families, and they make a difference there. The promise here in scripture is that when that happens, it's credited to your account. Your faithfulness and your generosity to give is multiplied as God uses it in whatever way he decides, and it's multiplied to your account, not only yours, but this person's too. And let's just say that this person goes and shares the gospel with someone else, and someone else, and someone else, credited to your account. And let's say this person goes and shares the gospel with with her family, and, has an exp- and, 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 sh- and they, they come to know Christ and they, their life is turned and transformed by the gospel. The promise is credited to your account that God is multiplying the, with compound interest every deed, every gift, every investment that we make in the lives of people that they're having a continuing effect of multiplication beyond what we would ever dream or imagine. There are oftentimes where we 
share, where we give of ourselves, where we um, share the gospel, invest in a life for the sake of the gospel, and we don't see the tangible results that happen down the road. There have been a few moments in my life where, by God's grace, I've had uh, someone come up to me and say, hey, you know what, that thing you did or that, that, that thing, that word you gave me or that gift you gave really made a difference and I wanna thank you for doing that. And, you know, from years ago. And, and I, I'm grateful for those moments. They don't happen very often, to be honest. But I'm grateful for those moments because that's just God's gift of showing me that every investment that I make in God's kingdom matters. It never returns void. And so the promise for us today is this, the, the multiplying effect of the gifts that we give, God takes it and, in, and it begins to touch others and touches others. And I'm imagining that some of you here today maybe, maybe even feel like, man, have I done anything for the Lord? You know, Have I made any sort of difference or impact for God? And all of us have felt that way at times probably because we don't sometimes see the tangible results of the investments we make in the lives of people. But I can imagine, and this isn't in the scripture, but I can imagine that at some point, maybe perhaps in the future, when you stand before the Lord at the end of your life and he's about to show you all the good deeds that you've done in the body and you're thinking, man, I, that's gonna be the size of a safe deposit box just about this size. And he comes to it and opens it up and you're wowed at all the different deposits that were made as a result of your faithfulness as a result of your generosity with your life that multiplied themselves over and over and over again to the point where you are wowed at how God used that one gesture of love, that one financial gift to that ministry or to this church, that one investment in the life of that person multiplies itself in different areas that you never ever knew or never even figured would happen, but they did. If you keep going to verse 18, Paul writes, but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The promise here is that when we give gen generously, and we give sacrificially, it smells good to God. It's an act of worship. He looks at that and is pleased. If we wanna make an impact in this world that lasts for eternity, that has eternal impact, the answer is be generous. Jesus' people are generous people. Verse, verse 19 and my God, and here's the promise to the Philippians that Paul wanted them to make sure that they knew. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Philippian church had given sacrificially to Paul. He was grateful. He was more excited about the heart behind the gift. And he was promising them that they gave out of their lack and now it's created a need in them that God and his goodness is gonna fill that need that was left. I'm gonna ask my personal assistant, Wade Owens, to come up on the stage, I'm gonna help you, Wade, to, to give an illustration for this particular point. Here you go, you grab yeah. that one. 
Minister of Announcements today. Minister of Helping here. Church, what, what we want you to understand is that kingdom economics doesn't look anything like our world's economics. And the way God handles resources is completely different than the way we handle resources. And so the promise that Jay just read said, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. And so there's a couple of different jars up here. This, this jar here is going to represent all of God's supply that he has for you. Whose jar is this? Okay, this is the group participation part of the sermon. Whose jar is this? It's God's jar. I couldn't find a jar big enough to represent all that God has, okay? It would consume us. But this jar represents God's jar. And the promise is, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. This jar represents our life, and this jar represents the life of others. For most of us, if we're honest, we don't live like my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. We live like I must protect and provide for myself according to my best effort to meet the needs that I have. And so what happens is we begin to hold on to what we have because I have to provide for my needs. I have to, through my best efforts, protect my needs because I'm responsible for meeting and protecting these needs. And look, we all have needs. I have three kids. I hope that I get to send all of them to college one day, not just my favorite, right? I would like to retire at some point and not be preaching to you when I'm 80, I want to be sitting in complaining how loud the music is when I'm 80, not just preaching, right? Like I, I, I've got investments that we're a part of, Roth IRAs I want to start every year, uh, different stewardship, all those, those good things. Like there's nothing wrong with being a wise steward of your finances. In fact, the Bible says if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. The problem is we've convinced ourselves, I meet my needs. And when you've convinced yourself that you meet your needs, you're less likely, if ever, open to meet other needs. Because you're like, I only have so much and I gotta protect it, so okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little, but whew, I don't know, what do I got left? I mean, this is a mason jar, so I'm looking at incremental marks. Okay, I can I give a little bit more. Okay, let's, where, where's my 401k at? Where's, where's that? Okay, I can... Because I have to protect my needs. But the Bible says, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. In church, you can't outgive God. I've been walking with Jesus now for 25 years. And my wife and I used to say, when we first started following Jesus together, okay, we're going to be serious about generosity. And at the end of every month, once we've paid for the bills, once I took care of our needs, whatever's left, we're going to just give it all away and be generous. Do you know how much was left every month? Zero. 
because I was so convinced I have to meet my needs. And finally, we're like, this ain't working. So we said, we're going to prioritize being generous at the first of every month. And we're going to meet others' needs. And we're going to be generous. And we're going to start tithing. And so we started saying, you know what? We're going to be generous. And we're going to give away. And at first, you think, oh, look at what's left. How am I going to meet my needs? But I don't meet my needs. Who meets our needs? And I've never had an opportunity where I was generous that God wasn't generous right back with me. And the more I give away, the more God flows into my life. And some of you are missing the joy and the blessing of having God's generosity flow through you on a regular basis to others. Because you will never pour out that God doesn't pour right back in. And some of you, I mean, you're holding tight because you think you meet your needs. But you don't meet your needs, God does. And look what happens when Jesus' people are generous people. Not only now is my life full, but the people around me's lives begin to be full. And so now we're multiplying disciples. And so now as we both pour out, God's got more than enough to keep filling up. And I'm not saying you give a dollar and you get $10. But here's what I'm saying. You'll never outgive God. I've walked with Jesus now for 23 years of being generous. And not once have I done without We've been able to be generous, send other people on mission journeys, still save for college, still do all of the things because I'm not responsible for meeting my needs, God is. And we serve the most generous of all gods. And we tell you all the time, this, this sort of a life, church, isn't something that we want from you. This sort of life is what God wants for you. A life of experiencing his constant flow of generosity in and through your life to others. And Jesus' people are generous people because God is a generous God. And he was most generous when he gave us his son as a sacrifice for us. And so the call today is to remember, man, you can't outgive God. Amen? The ultimate Generosity was the giving of Jesus. We needed a savior. We were apart from God. We were rebellious sinners, but God in his mercy and his love for us made us alive with Christ so that we might live for him. And Jesus gave his life. He gave all he had so that we might gain all that we didn't have, his life in us. The death that he died, we were supposed to die. And now we have life in him because of his death. And as we think about this idea of generosity and impact, legacy, man, the ultimate expression of that is in the person of Jesus. As we come this morning to the Lord's table and have the Lord's Supper, 
we can be reminded of all that we have in Christ and be reminded about all Christ has done on our behalf. So just in a few minutes, we're gonna, we're gonna have the Lord's Supper together. But let me just say a few words about the Lord's Supper before we get started. There are a few things that the scriptures say about the Lord's Supper that's important to mention. Number one, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing about the Lord's Supper and he says, hey, don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so what that means is when you're taking the Lord's Supper, if there's some sin in your life that you need to confess, that you need to come before the Lord and ask for forgiveness and say, Lord, I'm so sorry, I've missed the mark. I have, I have, I have disobeyed you. I wanna encourage you to take some time in this moment here in a second and just spend time with God. The Bible also says that, that the Lord, ordinance of the Lord's Supper is meant for Christians and that those who have given their life to Jesus and made him Lord and Savior, they're the ones that are to receive this ordinance as a, as a remembering what Christ has done. So if you're an, not a believer in the room, if you're not a Christian, you're still trying to figure things out, I just want to tell you, we love you and we're so glad that you're here and we want to say welcome home to you and everything we have as a church is for you. All the connections, all the groups, all the ministry, we want you to be involved and we want to love you and we want you to connect with you. And if you have questions about following Jesus this morning and you're in this room, we want to talk to you. But we would ask you to refrain from participating in the Lord's Supper with the church this morning. As we move into this time, what we're gonna do here in just a second, as Jay plays behind me, I'm gonna invite you when you're ready, as you have a moment of reflection and prayer, to stand up from where you're seated and to go to any of these four tables whenever you're ready and get the elements and then take them back to your seat. And then after a, a quick time, we'll all take the elements together. So I'm gonna pray for us and then I'm gonna invite you to pray at your seat. So Lord, thank you for this moment, reflecting on your life and your death and your resurrection. We remember today what you have done for us. Help us, Lord, to be generous like you're generous. And I pray this in your name, amen.